So I hope you're having a good Memorial Day weekend. Nice to have an extra day. Uh, just a reminder, you probably see it on your bulletins, but in case you haven't seen it or you don't know, uh, tomorrow, Monday, uh, over at uh, Penny, Frieda, and Johnny's house, um, a barbecue, I believe, and uh, just bring a dish. And uh, somebody said, and, and bring some food in it. <laughs> the meat will be provided, and uh, I think drinks are provided probably. So, anyway. All right. Well, you know, we we know a God that has power over over water. We saw that last week in Scripture, and so He might just heat that thing up. Well, we've been uh, we've been talking about a uh, a God of miracles, and we are in a section that presents four of some of the greatest. I'll say some of the great. How can you say one's greater than another? But commentators that say that Mark picked out just four of the greatest miracles in his short gospel right here in this section to show ex- the extreme significance of. The Messiah, Messiahship of Christ, of Jesus. And to be the Messiah, he's going to have to have power over nature. And like I said, we looked at that last week. That's over the wind and the sea, as far as the waves are concerned. He calmed it down to nothing, just like that. What a what a powerful thing that was. And that was so tremendous that it happened that the disciples were just in total fright. Uh, more frightened by uh, Jesus stilling that storm than uh, they were frightened uh, of the storm. And so we go into another one uh, this week. What we're going to see in the following weeks to come are miracles that deal with diseases. He has power over diseases and then power over death of all things. That's even the best, isn't it? So we have nothing to fear. So that's what we're going to see later. We can see how Mark puts these together. We saw he put the parables and now he's putting these action and miracles together. So we're covering his supernatural power. That is truly incredible. I know we've heard these stories and some of you through Sunday school as a little kid. Some of you didn't go to Sunday school as a little kid, so you didn't even know. Some of you didn't even know any of these stories. and Some of you do. So if you read Scripture, though, you, you've read them probably many times. So today we're going to be dealing with Jesus casting out a multitude of demons out of one, two men here. Uh, we're going to be focusing on what Mark is talking about, a severely possessed man. Uh, nobody's seen anything like this before. So the kingdom had arrived. The king is here. And the king is demonstrating that he is God. He's the Messiah. He is the Christ. And he's demonstrating it one day after another day after another day. So he shows what he did and, and, and what he says. And he comes in and he's going to plunder the enemy. Matter of fact, he's doing that right now. Uh, at, at this time period that we're talking about. He's doing it now. I mean, he, he's done it in one way, but he plundered the enemy's household, coming in, casting out demons, and showing that he has victory over them. And you'll remember in Genesis 3.15 that he would bruise the serpent on his head. Well, he's doing it there. And of course, ultimately, we know the cross is where he beat him at. But still, yet we still battle with Satan and the demons. And Jesus one day will come back and, um, of course, He has shown that He has victory over Him, already does, but um, that ultimate victory is whenever He comes back and makes the claim. He's already, it, it's already His. He, he owns this world, even though the prince of the power of the air still um, roams it. And if you, you remember, like there's a lot of passages that tell us about the victory over the enemy. And in 1 John 3.8, it's really good to be reminded of this. Here he's talking about one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. 
the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. You like that? I love that. He came here for that purpose to destroy the works of the devil. And he's actually done it. Practically, we're still seeing the devil roam around in an incredible way. But we know who has victory over him. In um, John 12, 31... Trying to think of a picture, how to illustrate that. A thought just came to my mind. I don't know how accurate this is. This just come from my mind, so don't trust it. But I'm thinking, uh, somebody wins a World Series. You know, I, I like baseball, and you you have won it, but you don't get your rings until the next season. And you don't get, you know, they get that trophy, but the rings are what they play for. That's what they want—a World Championship ring. They'll say. Well, the reason I'm here this year is that's all oh, I'll get a ring. I've never had a ring before. And you say, well, ring? Why don't you go out and buy one? I'm making $10 million a year. <laughs> I want a ring. No, they want to win it. Well, they win it and then they get it the next season. Well, Jesus has already won. He's just going to come back and make the claim. He's going to get his championship ring. And, and uh, the works of the devil will be... Uh, totally destroyed. Won't see anything of it. Did I say John twelve thirty one? Did I read that yet? Uh, uh, I did say it right. Okay, that's good. Now this is better than my little illustration. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. I think there, you know, ultimately it's going to be when he comes back. But then he did, he did that at the cross. At the cross. At the cross. John sixteen eleven. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now, the cross hasn't even happened, and Jesus is speaking this just before it happens, and he could be pointing to to that, but he's already doing it. He's judging the enemy, coming in and casting out his demons. You have to think of Romans 16.20. These are great promises to us. And I, I think they are really key to remember when we think we are being defeated by the enemy sometimes. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Does that give you comfort? The enemy doesn't have victory over Jesus at all. Matthew 25.41, there it's talking about judgment. In Matthew 25.41, keep... Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Prepared it for them. And then in Luke 11.20, I love to read the promises. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, by the power of God. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If I cast out demons, was he doing it? Oh, you know it. By the thousands, folks. It was uh, just immense of the number of demons that were in this land when Jesus came here. And he just kept casting them out and casting them out. So the kingdom is here. Jesus is here. It's a demon-infested land And Jesus is just casting them all out. Satan and the demons were having a field day till He came. And they were just tormenting huge numbers of people. Can you imagine the torment? And you've heard of lands today, countries um, that seem to be demon-possessed, like in Haiti, for instance. You'll hear stories of there uh, how people are possessed. And you have to wonder how close that is to what was happening when Jesus came. And of course, before Christ comes back, I'm sure that we're going to see a lot of demon possessions if uh, it's not already happening, which I do believe it is. Now, in this story we're going to look at today, we want to see it as a picture of like being in an art gallery. And you step back from the picture and you get the big picture of it all. You step back and you focus in on that and you get a whole picture. Sometimes that's the way it's 
meant to be when you read Scripture. Get the big picture first. Just get the whole, whole scan of the Bible. And then as you read more and more, then you get more detail. Now, if you want to look up close at this picture here today for the fine detail that you might want to look at, you might get frustrated at what we're going to do today because you'd like to pull up your chair, go up to that picture, and just kind of focus in and get a view of the pigs. And you might get frustrated because we're not going to really detail the pigs, even though we'll mention it. But they're not going to get the star status here, even though that's interesting. It's interesting what happens to the pigs. You know about that story, right? You've heard it. So we're going to back up, get a big picture of this whole thing. We're going to see this demoniac. Okay, what a, what a picture he is. We're going to look at him. And as we look at him, we're going to be thinking how far removed we are from this kind of person. That's what you're automatically going to think. Well, knowing me, you know that this is leading up to something. It's not going to be so much of, even though it's a separation of 2,000 years, and yes, this man was demon-possessed, and it doesn't seem to relate to us or our times. We're just going to learn another story and just have it here. We go, oh, Jesus is pretty cool. You know, He can cast out demons out of a man like that. But I want you to hold on here. Hold on before we go too far. Because we're going to see what we have in common with this demoniac. Say, what are you talking about? It may not be what you think when you first read this. This man needed someone to come along and do what he did. To cast this demon. He, he didn't have a chance, this man. What chance did he have? Demonically possessed. Somebody was going to have to get him out of this bondage. Because he wasn't. People had helped him. Had tried to help him. Done different things. They couldn't do anything. So, we know that everyone here is in the need of a deliverer. Everybody. So it takes a supernatural act of God to bring us to our senses and to be brought out of the bondage of the devil. Because that's what we were. And we didn't know it. That's the sad thing about it. We didn't even know that, that we were in the bondage of, of Satan. So this is what we're going to focus on today as we witness an extreme encounter that Jesus has. Yes, He's been casting out demons. Nobody has seen anything like this. And I don't know if anybody's seen anything since then like this man. All oh, the powers of the supernatural wickedness that, uh, that is there. So we're going to turn to our Mark chapter 5. Hey, we're starting a new chapter today. Fresh, but still in the midst of miracles. The sea, and now the demons. We're going to go over to the other side. There are 20 verses here today. We're ready to read it, right? Oh, good. It's 5 to 12. 5 to 11. Okay. I was going to say, did I take 55 minutes? They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even without a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion. For we are many. 
And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine, so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him. But he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how He had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed proclaiming the excellencies of him who called him out of the darkness into this marvelous light what an illustration of what happened to this man who was in dire straits all right let's first go to the bondage we're going to look at at the bondage and uh then we will look at the deliverance and then the story to tell. That's the way it is with us. We were in bondage. We were delivered. We have a story to tell. Okay, if you remember, we left off last week with the story of the calming of the sea. Can't forget about that. Man, the disciples are... What manner of man is this? What it, I mean, they don't really get it yet. They don't really realize this is God with them. They have some kind of inkling that they, you know He's supernatural, but this is God. What a dramatic outcome to, to that story. And so they're afraid. They thought they were going to die. Jesus was there the whole time, sleeping. And then spoke and the calm. They immediately stopped the violent wind. I mean, that's just amazing how quickly it stopped. The wave stopped. So they are afraid. Remember, they'd been on the other side. The parables had been taught that day. Same day's happening. That night, the storm. And sometime, maybe at dawn, they're going to get to that other side could be in the dark. We don't know. We're not given the time of day, but it has to be now uh, this this next day period or something there close. And uh, he's going to this other side of the lake. And that happens to be a place where nobody goes. Not from the other side. He's going from the west to the east. And no Jew would want to go over there. A terrible place to go. It was not safe. You've heard of certain sections of the country or, or, or in a city that you just don't go there. Right? So people stayed away from there. And guess where Jesus is going? He goes where people don't go. Because those people over there are bad people. And they got a bad man over there. That's a madman. So nevertheless, they go with him. I have to wonder. It's not recorded here in Scripture, but I have to wonder if Peter or somebody had to raise him and said, uh, Hey, Jesus, do you know where you're going? Do you, you know... <laughs> they've been in the storm. Now they're going over there. Okay? They're frightened. I'm sure they're glad that they've been delivered. It was just horrible what they just went through. I mean, really horrible. Nothing like they'd ever been through before. Now they reached the other side. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. Or Gadarenes, you'll see in the other Gospels uh, mentioned. Um, 
it's basically an area there. It's not that they're misspelling or they don't, they're not getting a story together. Uh, we live in Cole County. We live in Missouri. We live in Jefferson City. All the above, right? Okay, well, in that, they're in that area. So when somebody else presents it that way, um, they're, not that they're wrong, they're, they're putting it all together there. And uh, so we don't have any trouble with that, right? So Jesus led them into a storm. Let's get this right. He actually led them into a storm. Now he takes them to a Gentile area <laughs> where there's a demoniac. People know about that demoniac. And they stay away from him. The people that live there stay away from this demoniac because you might get killed. Who knows what will happen to you. Many other people were demon-possessed over there. Of course, they were in Israel too. But this, this is quite something that Jesus would go there. If you're a disciple, are you, are you thinking here? Oh, man. I'm going to hang around Jesus as close as I can. Well, look in Luke chapter 8, 26. So if you put yourself in that perspective, it's not like they're going, oh, wow, can't wait to get to the other side. We can have a party over there. I'm sure they've got to be wondering. Okay, verse 26 of Matthew, uh, Luke 8. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Kind of describes it there. Luke says Gerasenes. Matthew says the Gadarenes. So uh, the story from verse 26 on down through... 39 is Luke's story. And that's in Luke 8 and in Matthew 8. And we might refer back and forth occasionally, but those are the other passages where you will find this. But Mark really wants to report this, so he gives details that others don't give. That's why it's always good to kind of harmonize Gospels anyway. Okay, now we go from the other side there to the demon-possessed man and we're going to call this, this is the grand illustration of a man in total depravity, which every man has been. Only this takes it to its extreme. And that's why most of us say, well, I'd never be that way. Well, we would have the capability to do anything. If it weren't for the power of God, we have the capability to do of any sin that humans can imagine. You ever thought of that? That's how bad man is in his nature. So we're going to see the destructive power of demons here. This is uh, the Gentiles living here. Could be some Jews, but I want to stress, I think it's mainly a Gentile area. In Matthew 8.28, Matthew reports two men. Now there's another problem. See, Dennis, see, I have to wonder about the Word of God being you know, accurate. Because Matthew says two men. And Mark says this one demon-possessed man. Well, figure it out. There are two men. One of them is the spokesman. And that's the one that Mark wants to emphasize. So that's what we're going to go with. We're not going to be talking about the plural through here. But he emphasizes one man as a spokesman. Mark wants to stress this one man to make it really simple. When he got out of the boat, immediately, this is Jesus getting out of the boat. There's that word, what? Immediately. And Mark really sees this guy and these men, we'll say this this one, come running down. Coming running down out of the tombs. Now, the, the tombs there were carved into the hillsides. And they could be pretty large. uh, Large enough to be able to, if there was an open spot. And to this man, he didn't care. He he didn't mind living among the dead. He he was more comfortable around the dead than he was living people. uh, Or they. It'd be large enough for somebody to dwell in. Especially if you have an open one, regardless. So these two men come racing down to greet these visitors. Oh, they love it. Nobody comes around there much anymore because everybody knows. You don't even have to put signs up. And the disciples had a long night fighting that storm. And I'm sure they didn't have a lot of sleep. And here comes these two guys. A demon-possessed man. The disciples are thinking, this isn't the welcome wagon, guys. 
This is not the chamber of commerce here to welcome us to their land. Um, these people aren't here to make us comfortable. If you just take one look at them, you'd be thinking about, let's turn the boat around. Let's, let's go back. And they're not bringing them coffee. and not bringing them donuts. And they're not bringing them anything. They're not bringing them warm, dry, new clothes <laughs> or robe, anything. You know, these guys, you know, they've they got to be kind of maybe cold at that time. This is quite troublesome, in fact. Here you have this wild-eyed lunatic running at them and yelling at them at the top of his lungs. I mean, as soon as they hit the beach, there these guys come running down. Can you imagine it? And Jesus says, they've got to be frightened. I mean, they have to be frightened out of their minds when this is happening. They have to be thinking, I'm not so sure if they're saying it to him, to him, but Jesus, what you got us into now? He planned this out. You know that, don't you? He knew the storm was coming. And he knew that when he went to the other side, there's a man over there that needs to be saved. Yeah, well, we don't mess with that kind of guy. He doesn't have a chance. These men, they're possessed by demons. People were dominated by the demonic forces and all over Israel, especially in this area. Tell you what, demons like to focus in on people and bodies, human bodies. Now, so he's coming out of the tombs and uh, Mark emphasizes the strength of this man. Lives in tombs. He's a madman. He's deranged. He's irrational. He's crazy. And a man is dangerous. The most dangerous man you'd want to run into. He had the capability to kill people and probably did. doesn't say it, but I would tend to think that that has happened. And if he would have been given the chance here, I'm sure that could have happened there. He was like a subhuman monster. He was a monster. That's really what he was. He was like a Frankenstein. How do you stop this man? They had no clue. They tried everything. Nobody could stop him. Have you heard this before? He was their worst nightmare. <laughs> He's running naked without clothes. This man, you're talking perverted. Who knows what all is in his... Nakedness is a sign of great evil anyway. Of course, you go back to the, the garden and, and uh, Adam and Eve were naked and it was good at that time. But then because of sin, we see how sin affected everything. And uh, when you see somebody naked now, it's a shame. And of course, we see half-naked women all the time uh, on billboards, uh, on television shows. I mean, it's just constantly um, there. And it's a bizarre thing when you really think about it that this culture would, would allow some of the things that have happened. Now, this man has a supernatural strength. Verse 3, it says, um, He had his dwelling among the tombs and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. He'd break shackles and break chains. Evidently, they had done it so many times. And that's what they would do in the ancient world. They didn't know what to do with him. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't use the kind of uh, drugs that they may use today. Uh, when you have a maniac, you try to do what you could to restrain him and you no know, mind-numbing drugs. Drugs. Um, of course, at one time, that takes us back years ago, when what they would do with crazy people would put them in a padded cell, like mattresses. And, and you know, of course, they'd be running into walls with their head and everything. That was to soften the blow and put them in straight jackets. You know, that, that was the kind of thing that they used to do not too long back. It's kind of the way it was through human history. So anyway... When somebody was dangerous, that was really about the best they could do is shackles and chains. And I mean, this man is antisocial. He's, uh, he's a sociopath, uh, like a mass murderer. Uh, we have plenty of those people in our world today. You know that? Why is it that a lot of um, the police shows show mass murderers? 
seems like they really concentrate on that. There must be a lot of truth to that. It's funny. That, I don't know whether they're drawn to that or whether that happens all the time. Serial killers. Mass murders. So who knows how many people he had killed. One thing he would do, he would frighten people. He was a horrible menace. He's a threat to the social morality of the people. So who knows? They, they probably had slammed him down, knocked him out with a blow to the head, tried to do whatever they could to, to restrain him and continue to break the chains. It had to be a nightmare. Every time they would have maybe 20 people getting him down and slamming his head and whatever they could do to, to calm him down. He had amazing strength. He's aggressive. This madman is. And the thing is, he has demons that are just outright torturing him. Now, it's interesting. He tortures others, but he is tortured. That's what demons love to do. They love to torture people. Torture you with thoughts and all other things. Well, we know that human beings, for the most part, aren't like this guy. This is going to an extreme. But the thing is, the condition here is on a dark side, isn't it? This man is isolated, mutilated himself, loathed himself and loathed God. I think he is the ultimate picture of man's problem. According to Ephesians 2, 1 1 through 3, we are dead in our sins. And we are underneath the bondage of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Our nature hates anything that's righteous. Our nature, the nature that we're born with. We are aliens to God. We were in bondage to Satan. That's who we served. And mankind has stayed in this horrible condition and he'd stay there if left to his own will. His own free will. (laughs) My, how society has stretched that thought. It's been in the schools and most Christians today say, yeah, but we have free will. And the thing is, as Spurgeon said, our free wills will send us right to hell. That's our problem. Our own will. Because really, it's the will of Satan, isn't it? We may not be hanging out in cemeteries and yelling at the top of our lungs, running around naked and scaring everybody. Sometimes you might like to go around scaring people. (laughs) But spiritually, we were in the same boat this man's not in a boat. We were in the same tomb as this man. Well, you can say, yeah, but not that bad. Yeah, but there's no degrees of death, is there? You're either dead or you're alive. You might be dead one day, dead three days. Dead is dead. That's why we were like this man. It went to the extremes. Sinclair Ferguson said this, Men often hold on in their bondage to evil rather than yield in the pain of transformation by Christ's power and grace. I'm going to say that again. Men often hold on to the bondage of evil because that's what they like. They love the darkness. Jesus said that in John 3. They hold on to that rather than yield where there is the pain of transformation by Christ and His power and grace. The natural man wants to keep hanging on to that. That's what he knows. That's what he does best. A dog barks. Dog wallows in the mud. Dogs do what dogs do. You know, dog is a dog. That's the nature of a dog. Third sly. Then they eat your seed. And then they leave messes all over your patio. That's just the nature. That's what birds do. Well, a natural man does the things a natural man does. Well, this man is screaming, gashing himself. Well, that happens today. Have you heard about all the teens that go around gashing themselves? Cutting? You've heard of cutting? They cut themselves? It's terrible. 
what brought that on? It's not too far from this, is it? Really not. This man is wandering in and out of the tombs, out of the mountains. He's driven into the wilderness, out into the desert by the demons who torment him. You know what? This is a living hell. There is an eternal hell. But this is a living hell this man is going through. The taste of hell. He really tasted it. He's looking for relief. So the best thing he knows is he wants to kill himself. He can't even kill himself. Grab stones that are sharp. And he's unsuccessful in doing it. If other people can't kill him and put him down, he can't put himself down. <laughs> he had to attempt his own life and hacks away at his flesh with these cut stones. Boy. Some of the things. You know, we've heard of perverted monsters that are human beings, but sometimes you wonder. I think he looks makes Charles Manson look like a Boy Scout. That's how far this guy's at. He's so subdued by the enemy, his personality isn't even seen here. This first part. He's at home with the dead rather than the living. He's a threat to the living. Serious threat. Matter of fact, in Matthew eight twenty eight When he came to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. Extremely violent. Does that get the message across? Matthew really has it. Nobody passed that way. I mean, they had this this graveyard to themselves. They had all those tombs up there. Nobody's going to come and have a, a graveside memorial at this place. This is theirs, man. They, they own the whole place. Nobody's going to pass there. They're not even going to come in there. That's really interesting. There's nobody like this this guy in Scripture. You can look at bad people in the Bible. And this is why I think Mark really picked this one out. He's going to the extreme of showing bad. You know, we're not as bad as we can be. Depravity doesn't mean as bad as you can be. I mean, we have potential to be really, really, really bad. But everything has been tainted our thinking, our emotions, our will, all of our thoughts, everything, all of creation, everything has been tainted by what sin did. That's why we don't, we don't think the way that God thinks because of what sin did. That's why a man cannot think spiritual things unless it has been granted for him to do. This man needed help. It's interesting. He has the demons in him. What does he do when Jesus is there? When he comes up to Jesus? He's thinking he's going to tear into him, right? Verse 6. Seeing Jesus from a distance before he even got there, he saw that he was Jesus. He kept running. But the next word is puzzling. Bowed down before him. Your disciples, and you're seeing them bow down. What? What? This man wouldn't have that kind of mind to do. Started his usual approach, running downhill, screaming with this demonic shrieking that he has, ready to attack, and then all of a sudden, he sees Jesus from a distance. You know, whoa, this is somebody I know, he says. And the he that's saying it is really the demons now are are controlling here. The demons knew him from thousands of years ago. They had been around whenever they worshipped him as good angels. 
they knew Jesus. Well, how, how did he know it's Jesus? I mean, he's in the flesh here. How does these demons know this? Was it a, a demon is a spirit? How does he know this is Jesus? How did he recognize? Him? Well, the word is out. The word is out among the demons. He's been casting out demons. We've already seen it in the book of Mark. It's just gone on day after day after day after day. Demons being cast out constantly, constantly, all day long, every day. Hundreds, thousands of demons. Maybe even millions. And Eddie, what's he say? This is, there's like a network going on here. The demons are telling, hey, he's here. What do you think Jesus had been doing for the last couple of years, right? That's how he knows. He's been confronting the kingdom of darkness. With his marvelous light, he's been coming in, beaming with his truth and his actions. And the man just collapses, goes down. All four. Proskuneo. Proskuneo means to bow down to worship. To bow down. You think this demon had bowed down to anybody? Dropped to his knees, this man does. This man had no idea what was really going on. He didn't have it in his heart to worship this Jesus. But the demons, they know who he is. Uh, Proskuneo means to submit to, to show respect to one who is greater than themselves. So the demons are making this man do that. The demons speak. This one demon maybe using his voice. And he shouts as he comes to him. He prostrates himself down Proskuneo. And he says, What business do we have each other with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I mean, and he's yelling this out. It's like, what are you doing here? This isn't the time to judge us, is it? I mean, this is not it. I know it's not it now. And then he calls him Son of the Most High God. I want you to think back. We've gone through four chapters of Mark. We've seen miracles by Jesus. We've seen great teaching. Have you seen anybody, any man, say this confession? Son of the Most High God. Jesus, Son of the Most High God. The demons believe in Jesus and they shudder. James chapter 2, verse 19. You might say that you believe in Jesus. But does that mean you are really a believer? I mean, trusting in Him and going to heaven? Let me tell you, the demons believe much more than the humans. But they're not going to heaven. They know better. They know what's happening. Demon theology actually is orthodox in the sense that they know who Jesus is. They know what's true about God. They know what is true about Christ. They know what is true about the Holy Spirit. They believe in a triune God. They believe in that He will save people. But they hate the truth. But they they know it. That should be quite scary to people who would be on the borderline and not sure. Or to scare you out of your wits. Because you could be on the side of the demons saying, well, no, I believe in God. Those same people in Matthew 7. How, how do you know that somebody's really true and real? Matthew 7, Jesus told them in the Sermon on the Mount. I never knew you depart from me. These people did miracles and signs and wonders. Did amazing things. And he says, get away from me. I don't know you. They know he's sovereign. They're bowing down. The demons are bowing down. They know he's absolutely sovereign. Many people in the so-called church today don't know that. They don't know he's sovereign in everything. They don't want to give him that kind of control. These demons know he has the authority to control them right now. They know that he could send them 
to the lake of fire. So they're the only beings who know really who Jesus is at this time. And the disciples don't even know. They've already proven that. You're the Son of God, the Most High God. You're the Son of God. Most High means sovereign. That He's above all all others. And you'll see that in the book of Genesis where you'll see the Most High God, El Elyon. You'll see it in the book of Numbers. Isaiah, Daniel. Yeah, wasn't it Nebuchadnezzar that called him that? The Most High God. There's nothing... Nobody like you. That means He runs our life. That means there's things in your life that's got to change. Do you believe in Lordship salvation? I do. This demon's recognition is to say that you bear the same essence. You are the Son of God. You have the same essence of God. You are God. That's interesting. He says, I implore you by God, do not torment me. I beg of you, do not torment me. Do not send me to the lake of fire. I'm begging. And you'll see that word implore quite frequently through the rest of this chapter, through the rest of this story. Implore, implore. Everybody's imploring. (laughs) They're imploring Jesus. They're begging Him. And that's the condition we all are in. We're beggars. Because we have nothing before Him. Now, they're afraid they're going to be sent to the abyss. Right this day, there is a place where there were some super bad angels. I put it that way. uh, To realize that something happened, probably in Genesis. In Genesis where you get some super bad angels. And they are in an abyss chained where they can't do anything. They can't do what they did. This is what they did before the flood. Look in Luke 8.31. This is a parallel here. They were imploring Him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Let's go a little further. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. Well, I thought He sent all angels, the demons, to hell. No. 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 We're we're on the earth today. Demons are not in hell. They will be thrown into the lake of fire. See, they're talking about a reserve for judgment. There's a judgment to come. Right now, we have a battle that we would never realize how much of a battle that's going on around us. Who knows what's happening right now in a spiritual battle with demons. But there are some demons that were cast into Tartarus. And that's the word for that one. They're in the pits of darkness. They're chained there. They'll never get out until they're released into the lake of fire. A holding cell. All angels, all demons are bad. But there were some that he said, okay, it's enough. Well, if that's not enough, let's look in Jude 6 and 7. So these guys, so you can't say, to, oh, well, he cast everybody, all the demons, into hell. Well, for us, that'd be a great deal, wouldn't it? That's going to happen someday. But this, there's a Tartarus, that's the hell there, that word's them. And angels who did not keep their own domain, they went out of it and went total disobedience. Uh, to his ultimate, but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept an eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So Peter says something about it. Jude says something about it. Luke, Mark says something about it. And they're asking Jesus, hey, uh, don't send us to the abusos. 
don't send me to the pit. Don't incinerate me in that pit. That's the place of bound demons. The bottomless pit. Jews four times in the book of Daniel. Don't send me to that place. Place of incarceration. A place of vestibule to the lake of fire. Holding them to that point. So, they didn't keep their first estate. They were bound. What a place of incarceration. Now, that is the depravity of man. That is the position of all men. Yeah, this stretched it to its limit. If that be. But there is deliverance. Good news, there is the power of Christ. And that's the only power that's going to release mankind. In Mark 5, verse 8, now we get the second part of the story. Jesus takes control here. This man is this man is shouting with the demon's voice. And then Jesus had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Come out. Come out of the man. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Come out now. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. That's for all of us to realize that this man is not a demon possessed by one or two demons. And a legion to the Roman army was as uh, 6,000. We don't know if it's 6,000, whatever it is, it's a big number. One demon would be enough. But can you imagine 6,000 demons? We are demons. We are legion. Look at this imploring. Verse 10. The demon, or the man, began to implore him earnestly, the demons, not to send them out of the country. Okay, we want to stay here. Yeah, why not? Country of the Gadarenes. Israel. I mean, they're having a field day. We want to stay here and do our work. So he's imploring him earnestly, begging him earnestly on his knees. Interesting. They fear. Demons fear. They fear their judgment. They know it's coming. They know it. And you can say, well, why would God even have demons? He has a plan. He has a purpose. Could He just knock them out right now if He wanted to? As quick as He calmed that storm, He could knock out every demon there ever lived. Satan, and boom, that's it. He doesn't do it that way. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And He uses demons to bring about His purpose. And one of them is this story right here. Now, to the pigs. To the Bay of Pigs. There was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. just happened to be there. The demons implored him. There's that word again. Keep, they keep begging him. Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. This is interesting. Jesus says, okay. Gave him permission. Why would he do that? And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea by 2,000 of them that were drowned in the sea. Please don't ask me how Jesus could do that to those poor pigs. <laughs> I know you have an interest in these things. I know you're, you're bringing your chair up to that great big picture now and you're focusing in on those pigs. That's not the point. Mark's not doing that. But it is a graphic lesson on the evil, the immensity of evil, whether it be demonic or whether it just be human sin. They're driven into the lake quite graphic. I think it gives us an illustration of one day there will be a judgment of hell, the lake of fire. What a dramatic scene as these pigs drown. The demons are destroyers, folks. That's what they do. They're there to destroy you. The only thing is, they don't always do it in a violent way. The trickiest way is to come as angels of light. And that's how they do in the religious realm. That's what they've always done. They come in light, looking peaceful, 
offering things that uh, are unimaginable. Jesus gave permission, but he wants them to go, go ahead and do what you do. People saw this. There were witnesses of this. People are going to go see what happened. (laughs) Wouldn't you? (laughs) When you heard about 2,000 pigs being uh, just taking off into the sea, what, what, what was the deal? What was going on? And if they would have had ambulances and fire trucks and police, I mean, you'd seen lights going off and on and everything. And boy, here's the story. Verse 14, their herdsmen ran away. We don't even think about those guys, do we? Well, if you have livestock and you lose all your livestock at one time, I mean, and you go, this is really weird. I'm getting out of here. Joseph, we got to go. The herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city, I guess, and in the country. Everywhere they're going, man, they're yelling it out. You won't believe what just happened. This is their livelihood, remember. I mean, this is, this is what you make your living by. Your living is gone. I'm not so sure about that. It might be an okay thing. You just need enough people to go get those pigs as they're up there floating, and the water's kind of cool anyway. And maybe you could, you know, you get the meat out of this, you know, before that it's too late. That's what I'd be thinking. Bacon. Bacon. That's right, you bacon eaters. I know you guys are wondering about those pigs because you're bacon eaters. I am too. You ever had bacon cake? Ham it up. Pretty good. Ham it up. <laughs> We could do a pig joke. <laughs> you guys going to eat ham today? Okay, back your chair up. Get away from those pigs. Let's let's take a look here. There are people who witnessed this. They can't they can't help to tell others. They they don't like what happened, but I'll tell you what, the word gets around. I mean, if if you'd had YouTube <laughs> In an instant, everybody would have, would have... Well, it was in an instant. This got around. They didn't need... They didn't need Internet. They didn't need anything, man. I mean, once you get around two or three people, it starts getting around uh, around the neighborhood. People came to see this. And they didn't turn on um, their YouTube. I mean, they went directly to this place to check it out. And everybody's telling everybody. This is news. I mean, this is big news. This is probably the biggest... This is the biggest news that ever happened. No doubt about it. This is the biggest news. I think it's good news. Spread all over the region. In a hurry. How are the people going to act? Well, let's first of all, let's look at this man. Verse 15. They came to Jesus and observed the man. Check him out who had been demon-possessed, remind you here, (coughs) sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. And Mark goes on, the very man who had the legion, (laughs) sounds like a disease, doesn't it? Legionnaire's disease. And they became frightened. I guess, if you don't know who Jesus is, and you know that there's been a demonically type spirits going on in this world, you know, at this time. People are going, I've seen some crazy things, but this tops them all. And they're seeing this man. Is that the same guy? He's got clothes on. He's in his right mind. This had to be a supernatural thing that happened. You know what? And those who had seen it described to them how it happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. Started telling them how it happened. So how do, how do the people react? You got a changed man, a supernatural happening. They should have been rejoicing. And what do they do? And they began to implore. These people are imploring. And you had the demons imploring. Now you have the people who live around there, and they're imploring Jesus to leave their region. They're saying, "Get out of here. We we don't. I don't even know who you are, but you get out of here." They destroyed the livelihood of some people there, and they don't know. I mean, they're shivering. They're frightened. You remember the disciples when they were frightened about Jesus doing what He did? 
And these guys, just, uh, just get out. Have you ever given the gospel to somebody and says, stop, I don't want to hear it. Get out. Get away from me. I have. I've had people usher me out of their house. I've had people take their own Bible and take it out of my hands and get rid of it. People don't like Jesus when the truth hits them unless they're being changed. They were more afraid of Christ than they were the demon-possessed man. That's how frightened they are. A display of spiritual power had just been there. They were aware of it. This man, Jesus, was going to come in and disrupt their lives. Things were comfortable. Things were going just smooth. And then you come in here and mess everything up. (laughs) You ever rained on anybody's parade by giving the truth of God's Word? Why'd you you say that? Here it is. We, We were having a good time here. And then you go and say that. They worried about what they loved what they cherished in their own lives. They were hooked on stuff. They loved that much more than Jesus. And when they really see who Jesus is, get away. I, no, no, no. I, I don't want that. I don't want that. That one event will make an impact on many of that area. If Jesus doesn't hang around he doesn't have to. He said, well, they went all the way over there in that storm. They might as well hang around now and go to the people, you know. And Jesus says, okay. I'm out of here. That's pretty sad when people want Him to leave. And for some of them, it might be the last time that they would ever get the offer of the Gospel. The Gospel was right in front of their lives. You remember? Changing a depraved man, depraved man into one who was absolutely changed. Jesus really didn't have to say anything, did He? The man is walking in their midst. They know who He is. There's no doubt about this man. Everybody, even those bad people that were on the other side, knew how bad this guy was, right? And he's badder than bad. All he's got to do is walk around. Jesus had a divine appointment, though. He went over there to do His thing. He'll go right back. And I'm sure that the disciples will be thinking, hey, we've seen what he did with the storm, so what he did with this guy. How about, how about the sons of thunder? Let's go. Come on. Let's take on the Gadarenes. Let's bring the truth. And so they implored him to leave the region. He's getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed was now imploring him. (laughs) That word is really quite frequent here. He's begging now. He's saying, I want to go with you. You, you, You're you're leaving. You're getting into the boat. Uh, Let me go. I want to go with you. Why? I would have wanted to go too. I'm changed. I don't want to hang around here. Everybody knows me. (laughs) I'm, I'm going. Get in the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed and imploring that he might accompany him. Now, that's not surprising, is it? Most people would want to, hey, let's follow Jesus. That's what they're doing. That's not surprising. Here's the surprising one, verse 19. And Jesus did not let him. But he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how He had mercy on you. He says, no, you're not going to go. You can't go. Now, isn't that odd? Jesus always does the opposite thing. You think, well, sure, He can take Him along everywhere. And, of course, you know, people they can see His witness and, and hear His story. Jesus says, no, I don't need you where I'm going back. I need you here. I need you right here. You go on home. Can you imagine walking? If He had a wife and kids, maybe, before He got demon-possessed, can you imagine Him walking up to the house, maybe knocking on the door because you know he wanted to kind of play it safe. And they're they're looking at their dad. The kids are, the wife is looking at, him. or maybe his mother and father. 
he's going to have to go back home. Go home to your people. Report to them what great things the Lord has done for you. Just, just tell them about it. That's all you have to do. That's what a witness is. What happened? What happened to you? And how He had mercy. That's what everybody needs. Mercy. Nobody here deserves mercy today. Verse 20. Last verse. We're there, folks. Does this man have a story to tell? Here's what's not surprising. So we had the not surprising. Then we had the surprising from Jesus. Now the not surprising. When one is converted, a true Christian does this. And he went away from him and began to proclaim in Decapolis, proclaiming the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Went away, began to proclaim in Decapolis. Decapolis is not one city. It's ten cities. So there were a huge population in this area Mainly Gentiles. Could have been some Jews. Jews, pigs, not normal. So that probably wasn't Jews that had that. It was probably Gentiles. There probably could have been some renegade Jews living there, of course. But this man starts proclaiming in ten cities, highly populated. All of them know about him. And they all stayed away from this place where he had been at. What great things Jesus had done for him. They hear his story. They know who he was. They know what changed him and who changed him and what he is now. Right? Everyone was amazed. Well, we've seen that before. Jesus doesn't even have to be there. He uses the one man to go all over this area, the ten cities, highly populated, and people are seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the glory, of the grace, and mercy, and love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.